Okay, uh, we're ready to begin. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the uh, Virtual Budget and Finance Committee uh, meeting of June 8th, 2020. Um, we're going to begin now uh, the public comment part of our agenda. Hi, my name is Anne-Marie Munn. Um, I'm a super privileged white mom living in Eagle Rock, and I cannot stomach the portion of unrestricted funds being funneled to LAPD. It shows us that the budget committee does not understand that Black Lives Matter. In this time of extreme crisis, we need to defund LAPD and adopt the people's budget. My name is Christina. I live in District 8, a majority black and brown neighborhood in South LA that has bared the brunt of police violence and systemic neglect. Mayor Garcetti has the audacity to give the police over 50% of the city budget. This is wrong. This is a sickness the council must alleviate. I'm just going to read this list, this handy little list I found of eight simple things are totally non-racist city council and mayors can do to solve the issue with racist policing without impacting the budget at all. They are, number one, defund the police. Two, defund the police. Three, defund the police. I don't understand how you can remain a so viciously unyielding when it is strikingly obvious that police are central perpetrators of violence in the city. Your people are hurting under your leadership and you don't give a fuck. You work for us, remember? This is LA. LAPD is responsible for the original viral video of racist police brutality. Before the internet, they managed to go fucking viral. And since then, they have only become more militarized and well-funded because of elected officials. You are the past. Black Lives Matter and their allies are the future. Four, defund the police. Five, defund the police. Six, defund the police. Defund the police now and support a people's budget. A $150 million cut is insignificant. We need more funding for community investment, not a racist police force. We know that any contact that black, brown, and native community members have with law enforcement is potentially lethal, and if not lethal, traumatizing. I also want to challenge council to reject donations from the Police Protective Leave Pack. I saw a video this week of LAPD officers and personnel surrounding Councilmember Rodriguez and threatening her re-election and withholding of services if their budget was cut. Do not be afraid of their intimidation tactics. Seven, defund the police. And eight, defund the police. In addition to those eight, I have 40 of my own points I would like to add to them. They are nine, defund the police. 10, cancel the Olympics. 11, defund the police. 12, defund the police. 13, you gotta defund the police. 14, defund the police. 15, defund the police. 16, defund the police. All right, Seven, thank you very much, sir. Thank on, you, hang next on, speaker, please. Defund the Hey y'all, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap up. Today, we're gonna to be talking about coronavirus, police brutality, and the absolutely devastating homeless count figures. And uh, then we're gonna end with a little bit of a treat relating to our, uh, our dear friend, Mayor Eric Garcetti. But first, how's everything going for you, Bushido? Uh, it's going all right. It's a slower week than it's been for the last couple of weeks, which is, is good, uh, at least on some yeah. levels. Uh, Beverly Hills police were tear gassing protesters again last night. Oh, um, yeah, I was gonna, I, I got hit up by someone and they were like, Hey, we need some rides for folks. And mm -hmm. so grabbed my kit and I ran out to my car and my fucking battery's dead because I managed to leave my dome light on. Oh uh, no. Yeah. So I have to, I have to get that jump today so I can get my mutual aid mobile back on the, back on the road. Well, once um, we're done here, I can actually come over and help you with that. If you, if you'd appreciate that, that, that would be good. I could definitely <laughs> use that. Uh, but yeah, other than that, and then I also like, I kind of, uh, fucked off a little bit this week. Uh, cause I saw, uh, excuse me. I saw disco Elysium was on sale on steam. So in a oh. not activism related, um, uh, kind of bout of, of having fun, uh, while the world burns, uh, I played a communist building detective as I solved a murder mystery nice. in a city uh, upended by a labor revolt. So it was pretty cool. Um, so any how, game that lets you that? play a, 
Anybody, Crazy. any game that lets you play a communist detective is just, it's a great game. Like, play Disco Elysium. <laughs> Even if you don't like video games, it's really good and really fun. And, like, it's just a lot of reading, essentially, but it's super well written. And uh, just, I, I know a lot of people already like this game, yeah. but, like, it's great. And maybe we'll stream it here on our Twitch stream because we can do that. Awesome. You can yeah. Watch I, me build I, communism as a cop. We can absolutely do that. Um, I think I actually downloaded it. I bought it, I think. Uh, pretty sure. Because there's also, um, what is it, Tonight We Riot is another one that came out? Well, that's the Means TV one. The yeah. Elysium game is is from a, like, you yeah, don't have yeah, to yeah. be a communist. You could be, like, a, a race <laughs> scientist believing fascist if you wanted to. You can be you can be anything. Like, you, you can literally be anything. It's it's freaking great. And it's really funny and really hilarious. Nice. Uh, and there were times where I was playing it where I was just, like, busting out laughing. Um, so I, if you're looking for a little bit of a break and like to turn your deductive, uh, to turn the deductive reasoning part of your brain on, uh, definitely check out Disco Elysium and then, you know, go hit the streets. There are major actions going down today. We have some in North Hollywood. We have some at City Hall. Apparently there have been people pitching tents at Grand Park. So we might have a little bit of a Los Angeles autonomous zone popping up. Um, but I haven't heard anything too solid about it. Wanted to give a shout out to Chaz, the Capitol Hill autonomous zone (laughs) for keeping it going. Um, if you've done like Occupy encampments, if you've ever done something like that, you know how hard and high bandwidth, um, but also how beautiful those those ventures are. Uh, I don't really know what the long term sustainability for Chaz is, but I'm hoping for the best. Um, and it looks like the city of Seattle has been forced into a position where they have to negotiate. Like, I think that's the difference that we're seeing in this week versus two weeks ago is mm-hmm. we're actually we have the people have the stronger hand. Like, yes, we're speaking and politicians are being forced to listen. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going down early next week that we'll uh, talk about in terms of city council meetings and ways that you can uh, yell at city council and the police commission some more. But yeah, all in all, just another weird surreal reek as we uh, get farther into reopening and farther into the crisis that is America in the 21st century. Uh, but before I take up all the time, how's your week been going, Chris? <laughs> My week's been, it's been interesting. Uh, there's been a lot going on, especially surrounding the the work on the People's Budget LA. Uh, that is occupying an incredible amount of time, um, which is incredibly fun and satisfying, and it's great. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. We're supposed to have a special meeting on Monday, um, but the actual specific details of what that meeting is going to entail our uh we we know what we think is going to be happening but we actually have not gotten much confirmation from uh nuri martinez who is setting this up uh for a 10 a.m special special working group meeting of some sort that's not a committee of any sort it's very weird and nothing has been like released on the city council website as far as i can see so i don't (laughs) know how we're supposed to be able to tune in folks are supposed to be turning up in person to present uh this has all been announced on BLM's, uh, BLM LA's uh, Twitter, and uh, so I don't, I'm not exposing anything uh, that's secret, uh, but this is, it's going to be really interesting, and then on Monday, we're, we're going to have, so there's a, a, a budget and finance committee hearing at noon anyway, and then on top of that, at seven, uh, BLM is going to be hosting, uh, as, as the core of the People's Budget LA Coalition, is going to be hosting a town hall meeting to educate people on what defunding the police 101 actually is. And, uh, or rather, giving like a 101 session on defunding the police. I'm sorry, I spoke there. Yeah. And, you know, just talking about what it means to reimagine community safety and talk about moving beyond a, a brutal militaristic system of oppression that we've been under since, you know, basically since the, the passing of the 13th Amendment. And, and before that, when there were, you know, the cops were just slave catchers. So um, it should be really, really good. I'm really looking forward to participating in that. And, uh, you know, my week, aside from planning that stuff, my week has been uh, largely a lot of live tweeting of uh, city council meetings, which is yeah. super fun. You've been doing the yeoman's work on that. Like that's, it's impressive. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, I, uh, this is just to to let everyone know and maybe, Hey, Chris, plug your ears, but this is our, our (laughs) secret mission to drive Chris insane. Um, just in case anyone's wondering why we're putting him through this. Uh, it's actually, uh, invigorating in many ways, but it is mind numbingly boring some of the time. Um, specifically when there was the, the report back at the beginning of the budget and finance committee on Monday, uh, this past week, which was, 
Whew, like uh, I think Hayes Davenport put it uh, great when he he had a tweet that went fairly viral about this, where he's like, "Look, they're killing you with boredom. This is they have weaponized boredom. That is the point. They do this to keep you from paying attention. Don't let it distract you. Let it fuel your rage, or something." I'm paraphrasing. And then uh, I got to listen to the rage that followed. You know, it was great. Uh, two hours of public comment on Monday that I was transcribing for. Uh, everyone who's on the knock Twitter feed and, uh, you know, followed yeah. up with more city council meetings on Tuesday and Wednesday. And we're going to keep doing that because it's uh, I feel like it's now my civic responsibility to spread <laughs> the word of how shitty our city council members are and the awful shenanigans they get up to. Particularly yeah. David Rue, because he's a fucking idiot. And uh, can't help yeah, there's a lot of a lot of a <laughs> lot of positions switching all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. uh, a lot of folks saying things that they have never said before. So that, you know, we'll get into that in a minute because we have a lot of that to talk about at the end. But yeah, um, Garcetti met uh, uh, announced on Thursday that he was opening uh, restaurants, bars, uh, not yep. gyms, but pools and a lot of other places. Essentially, yeah. no, wait, I think no gyms are opening now, finally. Um, but so, yeah, yes. now that uh, now that we're done with the entire pandemic, it's OK for us to go out again. Right, Chris? Surprise. We're done. It's <laughs> it's a miracle. Um, but here, this is a chart. Look, does that um, <laughs> does this chart look like a flattened curve to you, Bushido? Yeah, that's not. And that's just L.A. County, right? No, no, no. This is for the state of California. OK, um, OK. We'll get to L.A. County in a minute. So this is the, the I always do the breakdown of California first and L.A. County because it's just like big picture zooming in. But yeah, um, here we go. Awful. Fuck. We're so fucked. Uh, as of 9.07 this morning, we now have 147,122 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the state of California. That's 20,793 more than we had on Saturday last week. Uh, and based so, on what we know about testing across yeah. the U.S. now, that could be yeah. anywhere from 50 percent to 20 percent of the actual cases in the state. Like we really have no idea when COVID got here or how big it's actually been. Uh, so, you know, anytime you hear these numbers, just remember the the real number is much larger. Yeah. Um, it's, it, and yes. there's probably people out there who are testing negative for COVID now that may have had it later, that may have been passive carriers and got it eliminated out of their system by their own by their own immune system. But that doesn't mean they couldn't pass it on then. Like there's just way too many variables to have any really good hard data for what the full picture is here. Uh, very much the case. Yes. Uh, the. Fun statistics here is it goes back to we had 3,692 new confirmed cases yesterday. Uh, we've now had, sadly, 4,987 deaths in the state due to COVID-19. 54 of those deaths happened yesterday. And, I mean, the reality is that we've, it looks like we've kind of flattened out the death curve, I guess, but it's... Like the, the hospitalization and the rate of death does seem to be pretty flat at the moment, but that's probably due in no small way to the, the, the efficacy of the masks that people were wearing and the fact that everybody stopped interacting with each other and went on social lockdown. Um, but that's all, of course, coming to an end now. So whew, yeah. we're going to see what happens. Uh, here in Los Angeles, we are up to 70,534 confirmed cases of COVID-19. In the county, we had 1,575 new cases confirmed yesterday. So we are still on a trend upward. Do not believe the hype. This shit's not over. Like, literally, yep. this graph looks like the same thing that happened at the beginning, at the end of April, beginning of May, just like higher. And that's terrifying. Uh, we are also now up to 2,834 deaths in the county due to this virus. 16 of those happened yesterday. Uh, very low count yesterday, actually, but the rest of the week was higher than pretty much every day that happened uh, the mm -hmm. week prior. So uh, I, it's, yeah, shit's not good. Yeah. Um, of course, these numbers do fly in the face of what the rhetoric is at this point, because well, we've got... Uh, both the city of the city of Los Angeles, the county of Los Angeles, the state of California, and uh, particularly Orange County, uh, are in a rush to reopen their communities, or their economies rather, at a uh, ridiculous pace. Quoting from the LA Times here: yeah. uh, As California reopens its economy, health officials have made clear the only way to avoid a wave of new coronavirus infections is with strict safety rules, including social distancing, limits on the capacity of businesses, and wearing face coverings when around other people. 
But a mask rebellion is underway in some parts of the state, with residents pushing back on mandatory face covering rules, even with coronavirus cases on the rise and as more businesses open their doors and s some people yearn to return to old routines. The potency of masks politics became clear this week in Orange County, where the health officer resigned after weeks of attacks and a death threat over her mandatory mask rules. Her replacement on Thursday rescinded the rules amid intense pressure from the Board of Supervisors. So, um, Orange County, you are <laughs> leading the way in what the fuck are you actually doing? You're making death threats to your health officials because you want to stop wearing masks in public? Like, yeah, I mean, that's very OC, though. Um, it's <laughs> fair, it's 100% how they, they operate. They, they gave us Nixon, and they gave us Reagan, and they gave us the Real Housewives. Uh, pretty much everything True. terrible in America has come from the OC. Uh, comments are closed on that one. Uh, but yeah, I'm not surprised by that. But it's also like one of the things about this that's really amazing is how innocuous this order was. Like yeah. there was no legal enforcement for it. Like the health department saying you have to wear a mask yeah. in public doesn't give any legal enforcement to that. And no. we know the way that this has been enforced in California and across the nation is that black and brown communities are targeted for enforcement. While cops in wealthy yep. white areas are like, well, it might violate somebody's First Amendment rights to force them to wear a mask. So in light of what's been going on with the protests for racial justice and equality and to like stop killing black people in the US versus a bunch of like rich white assholes in the OC saying, no, I don't want to tell you what to do. You're not my mommy. Um, like, fuck those people. Like, they're just, it's so just absolutely disgusting. If there's ever been a reason for like just total redistribution of wealth, just the shitty immature attitude of the people who live in those McMansions down there. Like, fuck you, no. You're obviously too stupid to use your money. We're going to take it from you and alleviate you of that burden. <laughs> God, I, I endorse this. Uh, yeah, so they've now moved to, quote unquote, strongly recommending wearing masks in public down in OC, which is not going to really do a damn thing. Um, of course, there, there have been a number of studies that have come out recently showing varying efficacy levels of masks, but officials largely agree that the masks are helpful in slowing the spread of the novel coronavirus. Again, quoting from the LA Times here, quote, a recent study out of Germany found that face masks reduced the daily growth rate of reported infections by around 40%. Another study published Thursday in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences uh, concluded that wearing of face masks in public corresponds to the most effective means to prevent interhuman transmission. Of uh, One little example that the LA Times does cite here is that in a Missouri salon, no customers became infected with the virus despite two hairstylists being sick, which, why were they working? Uh, and yep. scientists believe it was because they were wearing face masks. And many countries where masking is socially routine, including Japan, have not seen an out-of-control national epidemic. Hmm. I mean, again, fuck all the people who are like, it's the density that's the problem. That's why New York got hit so hard. No, it's because we have no fucking public health infrastructure. And this is the problem. We've made well, they, our entire health system in this country a for-profit venture, and we're well, they ourselves. also they, they showed that like pretty conclusively in New York that it wasn't a matter of yeah. density because Manhattan, which is far more dense than Brooklyn and Queens, saw far yeah. fewer infections because the people that are working and living in Manhattan uh, are able to socially isolate a lot better than the yep. people who are working essential jobs and have to commute from Brooklyn and Queens all the way up to like Manhattan or other parts of the, the city to work and also live in like more multi-generational family households uh, tend to live more people to a unit, even though there are fewer units. Like mm -hmm. there was a lot of reasons that went into it. I think one of the things that I was really appreciating this week was Alyssa Walker from Curb, like getting fully radicalized um, and going after a lot of the new urbanists who are trying to push the Manhattan argument as a reason why density would solve COVID without yeah. actually touching any of the underlying socioeconomic yep, yep, conditions yep. there. And this is something we're going to see happening more, especially as we like enter into this next phase of actually turning our demands into like actual policies is that people who don't want to deal with the actual systemic problems, but think that we can bandage them over by just like building more or making green transit or making things like transit oriented or whatever fucking urbanist buzzword you want in there are just going to perpetuate the inequalities and the systemic injustices that we have because they're not trying to build a multiracial mixed income city. They're trying to build a white suburb that just happens to have glittering towers of glass instead of like nice lush green lines. And that's not going to fucking solve things. But that's where our debate is stuck right now in the technocratic and policy level. And that's where we've got to be fighting against this and calling out this innocuous bullshit. Like, yes. it, TED Talks aren't evil, but they're still bad. They're the easy answers that lead us astray. That's why you don't watch or care about those things. Yeah. It's like 
when you're being spoon-fed something, it's probably not the adult food they're feeding you. You can probably spit it out and ask for the steak. You know, you're an adult. You can fucking chew on the gristle. That's how we get through this. Uh, thinking back to me in like 2014, 2015, being like, TED Talks, yeah, TED Talks are cool. TED Talks are good. TED Talks teach me things. Uh, versus 2020 me uh, very, very strongly agreeing with everything that you just said. Fuck TED Talks. Um, yes. But yeah, so uh, this this is... It's going to get real bad. Um, we thought it was bad before. It's going to be worse. This we, we Our elected officials have just fucking given up on actually trying to combat coronavirus, and it's going to be a huge problem moving forward because... They've not done anything to actually, you know, allow us to return to any kind of a semblance of the old normal. We've got our new normal and they haven't done anything to actually protect, especially workers who are, you know, on the front line in this fight. Retail workers in particular, like, please, please, please read everything that Rachel Reyes is putting out there. This is a devastating situation for the uh, essential workers who are going to continue to be put on the front line and our government has done nothing to actually offer them any meaningful protections. So yeah. it's going to get bad. It's going to get much well, worse. Well, and the, the thing, and I've, I flagged this before and I'm going to say it again because I like being a Cassandra, is when things get really bad, we're going to be too close to the elections for anyone to want to do anything about it. Like, essentially from August until November, our federal government shut down because everyone's campaigning. And obviously, President Trump is not going to want to order a shutdown of any sort or risk his position as he goes into the election, you know, severely yep. weakened compared to where he was before the, the pandemic and everything else erupted. But like this is one of those where like you actually do have to take care of yourself. The state isn't actually going to help you. They want that tax revenue. And it's not just yep. about helping and keeping yourself safe, but like keeping as many people around you as safe as possible, like on Hollywood Boulevard after the march last Sunday, I saw several bars had opened up because they realized there were 100,000 people on the streets of Hollywood. They could probably make a buck selling some beers. They did that, but that also becomes an issue. And like, it's something as we transition to what's been going on this week around police violence and yeah. racial equity, you know, one thing that I've been grappling with is like wanting to be out on the streets, but at the same time, also realizing that we could all be vectors and realizing that being in a crowd of 10, 20, 100,000 people is not a good way to can contain a pandemic. And when you look at, uh, the 1918 pandemic, especially in the city of Philadelphia, they had this thing where like they got the first part right and then they had a big war bond selling parade and the whole city came out and death skyrocketed. Two weeks later, they literally ran out of coffins in the city. They didn't have enough coffins to bury people or places to put them and they had to like improvise mass graves and it was a real just atrocity. We're, I don't know if we're headed for the same thing. We have better medical technology, but we're def definitely going to see that bigger bump. And that yeah. bigger bump is going to be driven not just by the economy reopening, but by the sudden desire for people to get out on the streets and like make their voices heard, which is necessary. Yes. But now we have two very dangerous competing things going on that puts us all at risk. And so if you don't feel like going out, don't feel bad about it. There's plenty that you can do from home. There's plenty of ways that you can support. You don't have to be out there on the street all of the time. Take breaks, get regular COVID tests, make sure that you're taking your mask. Don't hug your friends when you see them at rallies. Like I see a lot of kids out there doing that and like, just, just don't, we're not there yet. You know, don't be like Greg Palka, the kneeling cop who shows up without a Fuck mask to show guy. he stands in solidarity Jesus. with us. Like, don't do that shit. We're still in a pandemic. We still need to take care of that. But at the same time, we also have to fight against absolutely escalating police violence because this yeah. is some bullshit. Just last night, Atlanta PD shot a black driver that they pulled over for a DUI. Uh, in the video, he is running away from the cops after they try and tase him when the cops open fire, killing the man. Um, this is not something that's going to stop just because we had two two weeks of rally. Like, LAPD is not going to stop shooting people just because we take 150 or $250 million away from them. But let's talk about where the, the struggle stands right now. Uh, I've, I've popped up a video or a, a, an image on the screen now, uh, which it was the cover image on an article about police brutality uh, in the L.A. Times. It was above the fold. And this is uh, our friend Richie Sergenko uh, being dragged across the ground by LAPD from the Metro Division. 
Uh, and it's actually, uh, I'm in the back corner of this image. Uh, so that was fun, realizing just how close I was to getting smashed with a baton. Uh, so yeah, police brutality, super fun. Well, I would also like to point out the other person who's in the, the image, uh, who's yes. apparently getting hit by, I think it's Officer May. I can't, the picture's kind of small uh, on my screen. Mia, M-I-A. Okay, Mia, uh, is yeah. Albert Corrado. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> excuse me, whose sister was killed by LAPD bullets about two years ago. Yep. So this is LAPD literally brutalizing one of their victims. Uh, further brutalizing, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And this is this was, uh, I think, before Albert... Um, this was, a, I think, when Albert first got hit on the hands. Uh, he, he got hit a number of times in the course of this. I think most of the hits came when he was trying to protect one of the other protesters who was clearly uh, out of his element. And I think it might have actually been the guy here in the uh, in the blazer with the black mask who looks very confused as the police are going hog wild, uh, no pun intended, on the crowd right in front of him. Um, but let's not speculate too much on that one. We'll just get straight into the reporting here. Uh, from the LA Times, quote, Police call it a 40 millimeter less lethal launcher, but to those who have found themselves on the business end of the weapon during recent protests, the wounds feel deadly serious and unjustified. A homeless man in a wheelchair had his eye bloodied in downtown Los Angeles. I can actually pull up that image, which you should. Hmm? Yeah, you should explain why he got shot, because yeah. why he got shot is just makes this all the worse. Um, yeah. So there was a protest that was going on in downtown. Um, it was a peaceful protest, as far as I am aware. And the police were responding to it with just absolutely insane force. And they came around the corner and saw a homeless man in a wheelchair. And one of the cops just leveled the gun and shot him straight in the face. No, 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 no. Uh, no, what happened oh. was there's a group of protesters trying to get into an apartment building to hide oh, from the cops. Oh, oh. And the cops opened fire on them to stop them from getting in. And that guy just happened to get caught in the oh, crossfire. Okay, so like he just couldn't get out of Jesus. the way. So the cops weren't even really aiming at him. And after he was shot, the police did render aid, yes. like based on the LA Times article. But they also didn't like stop for a second and think, A, should we stop these people from entering a private residence? And B, is there anything in our line of fire? Um, and it just, it, it is just another cop riot situation. You know, when Garcetti's out there, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on the appeal saying that LAPD doesn't abuse its use of force. Like, this is the kind of thing where you're like, no, firing at an uninvolved, injured, disabled party is definitely abusing your use of force. Like, and there was also, there was nobody's lives at risk. There was nobody in danger. These people weren't breaking into the building. They were invited in. Yeah. Um, by someone who lives there, from what I've, I've been able to, to read from the article, it's kind of hard to make out those details, but this was a case of cops trying to stop people from getting to safety so they could not be arrested or brutalized by LAPD and further brutalizing an innocent man. Like, this is just an extra level of fucking terror. Yeah, and this is and the, the, the really terrifying stuff about this is that this is a repeated situation that happened across the country. There was this horrifying video um, that came out uh, right in the midst of all this in, I think it was in Minneapolis, where there were people who were just sitting on their porch or standing on their porch watching the state troopers just marching down the street, shouting at people in their homes to like, you know, go inside, you can't be out or whatever. Yep. And these people are standing on their porch, minding their own business, just filming the cops being assholes. And then suddenly the cops say, light them up and start shooting like paint rounds into the house and at the people on their front porch. Oh, it was, yeah, they were pepper rounds. Pepper, pepper rounds, um, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, sting balls. But that, that we also saw that happen in New York. There was a oh, video Jesus. from LA where it's kind of hard to tell. Like, some people in the comments claim that it's a firecracker, but there's nobody setting off firecrackers on that block. Um, but this is something that the police have been doing, like, across the country, literally shooting at, and in at times, arresting people in their private residences, yes. chasing yeah. protesters into buildings where the protesters live and still arresting them and claiming that they're trespassing. Uh, here in LA, it sounds like most of those charges will not be pursued. Um, they will be dropped. But at the same time, like, there's still possible court fees. There's still all the hours of your life that you don't get back. And we don't know what's going to happen in other more punitive cities. Yep. Like we've been kind of lucky that our leadership here in LA is so spineless <laughs> and doesn't know how to do what doesn't know how to do this. 
um, because they're they're very quickly bending yeah, to demands, which is thankfully. a good and a bad sign. Because like a that means we're getting treated less harshly, but b it also means these people have no fucking clue what they're doing. Yep. Like that's what scares me a little bit more about Garcetti um, than someone like Andrew Cuomo is like. Andrew Cuomo at least has a fucking plan. Like, it's a terrible plan. It's an evil plan. He's a bad man. Mm -hmm. But he's at least committed to his fucking plan. True. Eric Garcetti doesn't know what fucking way <laughs> he, he's going until he wakes up and sees which way the wind is blowing on a given day. Yep. And that makes him dangerous in this situation Extremely. because he's always reactive. Yes. He's never going to be proactively protecting anyone or making the right move because he thinks it's the right move. He's always going to be waiting to find out what's politically feasible, what will allow him to get the most political cover, what will allow him to keep his brand sacred and that's going to mean not making big changes or doing the right thing it's always going to be a day late and a dollar short from garcetti yeah no 100 um continuing from the article um a san jose activist suffered a ruptured testicle after a blast to the groin a radio reporter interviewing protesters in long beach suffered a neck wound and an untold number of others sustained cuts bruises and worse during the demonstrations that followed the death of george floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis police um, Carol Sobel, who is someone that we've reported on before, like we've had quotes from her before on this, uh, she's a civil rights attorney who is actually part of the lawsuit that the ACLU and BLM, um, and I think LA can is on this one too. We talked about this last week, um, that is suing the city for quote, turning the weapons on bystanders and peaceful protesters as the times put it. Uh, she was interviewed by the LA times and had this to say on the topic. Quote, if you fire at close range at, or at someone's head, they do a lot of damage. And the question is, what danger were these protesters posing? Particularly with homeless people in their wheelchairs, how were they a threat to the police? End quote. And that's a very fantastic question, Carol. And the answer is they fucking weren't. And the LAPD are a bunch of brutal thugs who have no fucking business having any weapons whatsoever, let alone being able to turn them on un unarmed peaceful protesters at will just because they fucking can and they have a badge and they can get away with whatever the fuck they want. Yes. Um, regarding how widespread the use of these quote unquote less lethal launchers were during the protest here in Los Angeles, LA times is reporting that quote, once police, one police tactics expert said he was told by the LA County Sheriff's deputies uh, that, sorry, let me try that again. One police tactics expert, I really am struggling on this one. One police tactics expert said he was told that the Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputies used so many non-lethal weapons that the agency had to resupply its ammunition. A Sheriff's Department representative confirmed the resupply necessitated by its, quote, involvement in widespread incidents throughout the county. Um, that's fucking great that they ran out of ammo to shoot at us. Uh, more reporting from the LA Times. In Long Beach, the police department said it had launched an inter internal investigation after an officer fired what was believed to be a 40-millimeter round that hit KPCC reporter Adolfo Guzman Lopez in the neck. Guzman Lopez said he had been interviewing protesters when the round struck him, bloodying his neck. Uh, the, let me actually pull that one up because uh, there we go. Yeah. Uh, what the fuck? Uh, Quote, the question that remains is what policy, what rationale led this police officer to single me out of the crowd, Lopez told NPR after the May 31st incident. So we've actually got the tweets from uh, Guzman Lopez the day that he did this, and I've got them up on the screen. Uh, at 5.50 p.m. on May 31st, he said, quote, I'm reporting on the Long Beach protest. Police in riot gear just moved their line half a block to 3rd and Pine Avenue. Protesters largely dispersed. I'll be posting in this thread. Uh, 50 minutes later at 6.40 p.m., quote, I just got hit by a rubber bullet near the bottom of my throat. I had just interviewed a man with my phone at 3rd and Pine, and an officer aimed and shot me in the throat. I saw the bullet bounce onto the street. Uh, okay, that's one way to stop me for a while. Holy shit. Uh, so this yep. is... And this is also, uh, Adolfo Guzman Lopez, is, he's been reporting in this town for decades. Yes. Uh, this is... Someone who, like, should be known to the commanders of uh, those uh, LAPD and, and Long Beach PD squadrons. Like, this is not somebody who's, he's not like a knock journalist, right? He's not some <laughs> random person we pulled off the street, right? This is a guy who's written for the LA Times and the OC Weekly and NPR. Yeah. And, like, he's a very well-acknowledged and very skilled and uh, capable journalist. Um, mm -hmm. And they shot him right in the throat. 
specifically they targeted him. I mean, if you see, yeah, the, like, so the way that they're supposed to be using these rounds is to bounce them off of the ground in order to encourage people to disperse from an area where they, the cops are, are, are sensing some kind of escalation. It's my understanding of how this is supposed to be handled, but shooting them directly at protesters is totally out of bounds and not yeah. something that they're at all supposed to do. And it really, well, you know, escalates the, the, the lethality level of these weapons. So most of the manufacturer's guidelines on this, and don't ask me why I know this, I've spent way too much time <laughs> going over this shit, but most of the manufacturer's guidelines advise to not aim at the head or the face or like the neck, like anything from the shoulders up, that you want to aim at the lower body, specifically the legs, um, and that you're not supposed to shoot them at people who are yep. running away, that it's yep. most effective to try and bounce them off the street, like you were saying. So it, it burns off some of the inertia, but still hurts. But if you've seen what it looks like when somebody gets impacted by one of these foam rounds, and remember, like, LAPD is being really uh, pedantic, and it's like we don't use rubber bullets, which they don't. They use 40-millimeter foam rounds, which is foam, and then it's got a nice it's hard plastic rubber. cap. And it, it hurts quite a bit. Like, that much kinetic energy impacting your body is going to cause a lot of damage. Like, severe contusions, break the skin, cause massive bruising, could cause worse, like... If it hits you at the wrong time in the wrong part of your body, it could literally cause your lungs or your heart to malfunction um, because yep. those kind of impact damages can kill you. Uh, but <clears throat> what you're specifically not supposed to do is shoot it at the face. And the only kind of uh, recourse when this happens is that weapons manufacturers can stop selling those guns to police departments. This happened to Portland Police Department after they shot a protester in the head with a gas canister, uh, I want to say last year. Um, I think you all saw the, the famous photo of the, the guy's um, uh, helmet all cracked in with the tear gas canister sticking out the back, and he sustained uh, a uh, skull fracture from that. Uh, wow. But there's really like if the police misuse the weapons that they're buying, there's very little to stop them from doing that. Um, and we even see this in the case of like LAPD when they're like, well, we don't we don't use tear gas uh, at the same time as Michael Kolha showed us in 2017. They spent four million dollars on bullets and tear gas. Uh, we can't get a breakdown on how much went to which of those. Um, but I'm just wondering why they're buying tear gas if they don't use it. It's just like. Hey, guys, this is the forbidden room of tear gas. You're not allowed to use this. Yeah. We just buy it so you know what you're not allowed to use, you know, like just just in case you're wondering. So and, and Garcetti said straight up in that interview that we're going to talk about again later uh, yeah. that LAPD doesn't use tear gas. Yep. Which is some pedantic bullshit because uh, you, you, you got you got tear gassed. Yep. No, I mean, well, that was also that was LACSO, I think. Um, oh, yeah, I didn't see. Yeah, without a difference. I, well, I mean, sort of, but not really. I mean, it, there is a there is a bit of a distinction. Like last I mean, night, yeah, like sure. when Beverly Hills PD was, you know, shooting tear gas at protesters like LAPD has no say over that. Same thing with LACSO. Um, at the same time, you notice like LACSO gets called in when LAPD really needs somebody to fuck shit up. Like, well, LAPD... So for a quick distinction yeah. for people who don't necessarily know, what's the difference between LAPD versus LACSO? Well, I mean, they answer to two different command chains, so LAPD only investigates crimes in the city of Los Angeles. Uh, LACSO okay. is all of the county of Los Angeles and the contract cities like West Hollywood. So LACSO is in unincorporated areas, areas that are incorporated but don't want to pay for their own police force, and then also is backup to LAPD oh, gotcha. uh, around the city. And then also the transit and everything, though that one goes back and forth, like— City Council and the Metro Board have, like, gone back and forth on whether they want Metro or LAPD, mm -hmm. or sorry, not Metro, LACSO or LAPD guarding people on the metros and buses. So that one becomes kind of hard because each of the police departments is really terrible. But, you know, at the end of the day, the uh, chief of police answers to Eric Garcetti and the city council. Uh, the sheriff of, of the L.A. County Sheriff's Office yeah. answers to the Board of Supervisors. So, like, that's the, the biggest distinction there is just which elected body they – and also, like, LAPD chief is not elected. He's appointed by the mayor and confirmed by Correct. the council. LA, the, the sheriff is obviously elected. Um, so we get to vote out Sheriff Alex. But it, it kind of does become a little of a weird distinction, especially with all of the unified command mm -hmm. centers and the cross-jurisdictional and what they call mutual aid arrangements that all the cops have. Like, essentially, the cops all operate as one mechanism, but there are various lines of, like, accountability and responsibility um, that become very blurry when you're actually out there on the street. Yep. So one of the big things here I want to highlight for folks is that when we say LACSO, it's the same thing as saying like LASD, which is something that people have been using as an acronym for Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. Yeah, so but it's, it's not that. It's it's the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office. I, I Yes, but people have, 
it doesn't matter. Uh, point is, any confusion there, LACSO is the fucking sheriffs, and they're a bunch of assholes, and they suck so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, enough of uh, police brutality for the well, time being. Well, I was going to say, it, you know, talking about the sheriffs, uh, we definitely need to talk about L.A. County uh, and the homeless count, mainly because yeah. L.A. County's uh, sheriffs will be the ones dealing with this problem because we've decided to criminalize not having shelter or being too poor. Uh, so the homeless count numbers for 2020 are in. Remember, this happened just in February. Like, this is this is the freshest data we've got, and uh, it still doesn't actually take into account the full pandemic. The, these numbers yeah. were all taken before the pandemic really hit. Um, so even though we're seeing double-digit increases across pretty much all of Los Angeles, uh, things are definitely much worse now than they were when these numbers were generated. But uh, let's go ahead and dig into it. Yeah, so first let's actually look at how, because this is the first time that I can remember that the homeless count was released like at midnight um, on the day that they said they were going to release it. Yeah, that was a weird one. Maybe. There we go. Okay, so here is the video uh, that Lhasa released as this lovely animation on their website at midnight. Um, again, this is the first time that I can remember that they've released this information in the dead of night. Uh, normally, they hold off. Last year, they held off until the County Board of Supervisors yeah. meeting where they announced it and had a big old press conference. But yeah, so the county is up 12.6% uh, and the city is up, what, 14.1%? Uh, which is absolutely insane. 59% um, of those newly homeless give mm -hmm. economic hardship as their main cause of homelessness. Uh, you know, we need 509,000 new affordable housing units to meet the current demand, which that ain't happening. Uh, system failures. It, it's weird that the luxury housing development hasn't stopped during the pandemic. Yeah. Like, that's the only thing <laughs> oh, we God. have been building. Like, that, it, it literally hasn't stopped. Uh, yeah. Right up the office from or right up the street from Ground Games office is like a bunch of apartment buildings. They're being renovated and flipped, and like they've been at full operation pretty much since the the shutdown yep. was ordered. Like not a day has been lost. Yeah, it's absolutely just maddening to see this. And one of the what, there's also uh, a really poignant demonstration of how fucked up our priorities when it comes to building things are. If you look over in in K Town, we've got um, a luxury development that's been going in that's being Built by, um, uh, I believe it's Mr. Lee's company. I'm, I'm trying to remember what his last name was. I think it's Lee. Uh, the developer whose daughter is now the CEO of his company, uh, he's the one that ran around with like an AR-15 and was threatening to well, patrol. The I mean, he he brought area. a yeah he brought an AR-15 yeah. to a meeting with the with yeah. the community liaison cop um, and threatened to shoot people up. Uh, actually, I don't know if he. I'm foggy out now. I can't, I yeah, I can't remember if he brought the gun, but he actually, he did own the gun. Like, he was very yes. specific about the type of AR-15 that he owned. Uh, he was then forced out of the leadership of Jameson Realty, uh, replaced by his daughter, but still calling the shots and still has a lot of business yeah, interests. Jameson Realty, yeah. that's the... And still yeah, has so. a lot of connections to the Korean business community there. So even though his daughter uh, is ostensibly the CEO, uh, he's mm -hmm. still involved is what a lot of people feel. Yeah, so my, my point with this before we got distracted on the specifics of the AR-15 and whether or not it showed up and was flashed in public, uh, the point of this is that that company, Jameson Realty, is or Developments, whatever the fuck it is, Jameson, uh, they are still in the middle of building and have been moving headlong on this project that is this huge development right next to MacArthur Park. And then, like, right across the street from it is this, like, perpetually stalled out permanent supportive uh, housing complex that was supposed to be a bridge home. And then it got like turned into a weird um, like containerized uh, housing project that it's just, it has taken so long for them to be able to even build this, this shelter slash supportive housing system. And meanwhile, the, the luxury housing that is so much larger and is going to house so many more people, of course, people who have the means to support themselves in there is just going up with no, no break. Uh, it's just absolutely insane. It, it's moving along and nobody seems to be worried about infections there, but all of the like permanent supportive housing and, and shelter projects have just completely stalled out and nothing is actually being done. Um, moving on to the actual numbers, of course, these were released Friday morning at midnight. 
Uh, this is from a homeless count, the point in time count, which was conducted back in January. So this was, of course, pre-COVID and pre-lockdown and pre-everyone losing their fucking jobs and now being on the verge of uh, potentially being evicted in a little bit. We've got a couple of people up in the, the chat talking about the, the Gary Blassie report, um, which is, you know, we're, we're looking at an insane uh, risk of eviction in, in, in a scale that is unheard of here in, in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, so they said something like 160,000 families are at risk of becoming, uh, becoming homeless once the eviction moratorium runs out. And then the UCLA study said that that's like not even close to how, how high the number actually is going to be. It's just totally insane. Um, ben yeah. Oreskes from the LA Times actually has a really great Twitter thread up that we're going to be linking in the description here with a very succinct introduction of the whole problem, which is that Los Angeles homeless population is estimated to be 66,433, up nearly 13% from the prior year. Mm -hmm. The second consecutive double-digit increase. The estimate for the city was 41,290, which is up 14% and only slightly less than last year's increase of 16%. Um, a quick note from Curbed to introduce a Twitter thread that I'm going to go read through is, quote, it's the second year of double-digit increases in the homeless population uh, for both the county and city of Los Angeles, where the unhoused population is up 14% since 2019. Robin Petering, who runs a research and advocacy group that works with homeless organizations, also a member of K-Town for All, and she's awesome, and uh, is also involved in the Nithia campaign, and yes, very awesome. Uh, responded with a breathless, quote, oh my God, and wow, when she was read the results over the phone. This is from the reporting in Curbed. Quote, yeah. it's disheartening, she said upon hearing the numbers. Are our leaders capable of solving this problem? I think is a really valid question at this point, end quote. So uh, as to the Twitter thread, because she said, uh, I think the, the first tweet she said was, I have some thoughts. And then she quote tweeted herself and made a little thread. Uh, here we go. The homeless system is designed to address homelessness, not renter protections, not affordable housing, not fair and protected labor. The fact that our leaders don't understand the complexity of inequity in Los Angeles shows they are committed to an L.A. that is livable for some, not all. Calling it complex is, is generous. It's actually simple. We've created a system that exploits the most vulnerable. City Hall is in place to support the people that want to profit off the city and the military em employed to protect them. She's referring there to the LAPD. We had 82,000 people processed through our, quote, housing command center because it's the only public system we've built out to support people. And when you get there, you are assessed if you are, quote, vulnerable enough. You must fall through all the cracks to get there. I hate it. And let's not forget that the modern homeless system is a result that our leaders finally realized that people were dying on the streets, which was a bad look and also very expensive. So, yeah, Robin is absolutely entirely on point there and knows what the fuck she's talking about, has more experience in these issues than basically anybody else I know. And it's, it's devastating what well, our system is and the way it's been constructed. Let's drill down into the service areas because that's where the rubber really yeah. meets the road. Because um, we know, like, overall it's terrible, but it's, it's worse in some places than others. So how is this breaking down geographically? Okay, so this is, honestly, this is the part that's super fucked up, is that the biggest issue, they, they talked about the spread across the, the entire city and how it disproportionately impacts um, black communities in Los Angeles and specifically black men in Los Angeles. But here's the thing that didn't get nearly enough traction as far as I'm concerned, uh, was the disparity between those service planning areas, as you mentioned. Uh, so SPA 2, service planning area 2, which is West San Fernando Valley, Santa Clarita, saw a 20% increase, which is bad. SPA 3, Baldwin Park, West Covina, Laverne, saw a 1% increase. SPA 4, which is downtown LA, West Hollywood, and Hollywood, saw 4.2%. SPA 5, Playa del Rey, Santa Monica, Beverly Hills, Culver City, 14.2% increase. Um, SPA 8, South Bay, Harbor Area, 4.6% increase, and then... Spa 6, Crenshaw, Watts, and Compton, 36.4%. So black Los Angeles is where this crisis is hitting the hardest. Hold on, but we're, hold on. You, you left a really big one out of there. Um, SPA 1 is the Antelope Valley, and that saw the highest increase overall. Oh, that really? That saw a 40% increase. Oh, yeah. shit. 
it's one of the smaller populations to begin with, but it's actually yeah. higher than Watts, but that's also where a lot of people, well, higher than SPA6, which covers like Watts and Compton and large yeah, yeah, parts yeah. of South LA. But SPA1 in the Antelope Valley and like Palmdale and like places like that has seen a lot of um, black people move there recently. Yep. And we're seeing those same dynamics play out. Like the the unhoused crisis across LA County is a crisis in the black community. And that's what we're seeing writ large across all of these demographics. Now, SPA1 doesn't get a lot of attention because it, it, some of it does fall outside LA County, I believe. It also doesn't, um, it's also not like very close to the, the center of LA and it's also more sparsely yeah. populated. You know, it's the big high desert to the north of us. I believe it's the largest planning area next to SPA2. Um, gotcha. And even though they they only have 47, uh, 4,755 people unhoused this year. That was a massive jump over last year when it was only like 3,000 something. So they're seeing an, yeah, they're seeing almost a 50% increase year over year. And this is a problem because that's where people have been going to escape the high prices in the rest of LA. That's, yeah. Thank you for pointing out that my graphic there does not actually include that. And I should have pulled all of the spas. No, it's um, weird. It's it's hard finding the complete graphics. Like that one isn't included even in there. Like I'm looking at their spri- yeah. their, spri- their slideshow right now. It's not included in there. Um, I saw that graph that you saw earlier, Those that number breakdown. Um, but yeah, SPA1 really stuck out to me because we almost never talk about it. Like the yeah. Antelope Valley, the high desert is an afterthought to most people in LA. I mean- Hell, I don't cross the mountain unless I have to. Like, I, I try not to think of the valley. So thinking of things as far north as, like, Antelope Valley can be a little bit of a strain. But it's a hidden disaster that we're not seeing and one that's going to get worse because those communities out in, like, Antelope Valley, Palmdale, all of those areas are pretty new compared to, like, the rest of L.A. Like, it's more of an Arizona where things have been popping up there in the past 20, 30 years, which means they haven't had the tax base to build the infrastructure to handle this kind of humanitarian disaster. Not that we've actually built anything up in this area to handle it either, but your yeah. point still stands. Um, a couple of other tweets that Ben Oreskes put out actually pulled some quotes from his own reporting and linked to a number of other related articles. I uh, put it all out as a thread early on Friday morning, and a few of them really stood out to me. Uh, so Lhasa, the first one that stood out was that Lhasa estimated that more than 82,000 people fell into homelessness last year, which is a 51% increase over the year before. Nearly two-thirds of those people became housed again on their own, without any help from Lhasa. Another tweet that stood out was, quote, one of the most eye-popping jumps was families. Family homelessness jumped nearly 46% from 8,800 to 12,800 family members living without a home. Officials said this increase was partially a result of better tracking. Great. Uh, A third one that stood out was, as mentioned earlier, these numbers don't reflect the likely explosive growth of homelessness post-pandemic. Homelessness growth tracks very closely with unemployment growth. One estimate predicts as much as 45% growth in homelessness nationally this year. So it's going to be real bleak moving forward. Um, And I I also wanted to just highlight another little bit here uh, when we get into... Um, more of the racial breakdown here. Uh, I've got a lot of things that I put in here. It's going to take a minute to read through it all. Uh, reporters did highlight that the massively disproportionate number of the uh, for the black population in the homelessness count, but this isn't something that has really changed much year on year. Black men in particular have made up a disproportionate number of the unhoused population every year that Laza has done this count, so these figures aren't new. From the LA Times, quote, The homeless population continues to be about two-thirds male. The racial dynamics of homelessness continue to be stark. Black residents account for 8% of the population in Los Angeles County, but 34% of those who are homeless. Marston, who is the uh, head of LASA now, said that structural racism means that black men and women are four times more likely to experience homelessness. Uh, LA has actually included in their reporting a, a bit of a more complete breakdown for the figures by race, race and ethnicity in their reporting. And I think it's worth pointing some of this out. Uh, Latinx residents represent 48.5% of LA County's population, but are 36.1% of those experiencing homelessness. Black residents are 7.9% of LA County, but make up 33.7% of those experiencing homelessness. American Indians are just 02 of LA County's population, but represent 1.1% of those experiencing homelessness. That is devastating. 
White residents are approximately 26.3% of the county's population, but are and are 25.5% of those experiencing homelessness. Asians identified, Asian identified residents make up 14.4% of the county, but uh, represent just 1.2% of those experiencing homelessness. Um, Mark Ridley Thomas was interviewed on the Let, let's 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 not cover Mark Ridley Thomas. Okay. I'm sorry. We like have I have to. no fucking I do not care what that asshole has that, to say. He made this bed. But let's talk about the fact fair. that a lot of folks that are experiencing homelessness are not actually coming from other places. Yeah. Like this is a homegrown crisis where we've seen like even during the pandemic, yes. uh, rental prices are going up, even though wages are decreasing. Like mm-hmm. we, just in the past three months, we've knocked 25 percent off of our GDP, which is literally unprecedented in the history of modern America. So we're not seeing people being pushed here from like other states. Like there aren't people mm-hmm. hopping in their cars and driving out Grapes of Wrath style to like live on the Venice boardwalk. There are people who are able to afford a place living here who then get yep. forced out of their place, yep. end up on the street and then get shuffled from neighborhood to neighborhood as the police push them out of different areas. And they're also not able to get any sort of service providing. Uh, and beyond that, once you do get arrested, once you do like end up in jail, if you get shipped up to Palmdale or you get stuck at Twin Towers, when you get mm-hmm. released, you probably don't have a support structure. So you're going Correct. to end up in that neighborhood. A lot of the people who are living in neighborhoods where they didn't leave previously are there because that's where the system has decided to dump them when it's done processing them. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a, a myth that perpetuates itself every fucking time that they start talking about these homeless figures, people are constantly talking about, you know, busing that is supposed to have happened where Las Vegas is said that they, you know, and they, this has been caught before that there, there have been incidents where people have been discharged from hospitals and then put on a bus and, you know, on a Greyhound and sent to Los Angeles for us to deal with that has happened. But those anecdotal uh, experiences are extremely few and far between when it comes to the actual scale of this fucking crisis. Um, so basically the, the results in the count show that this is just demonstrably untrue because 71% of the people who are experiencing homelessness in Los Angeles have lived in LA County for more than a decade. And if you open that up to more broadly defined as Southern California counties, then that number edges up to 74%. Only 21% of the people who are experiencing homelessness have lived in LA County for less than five years. And uh, only 20% of those surveyed reported that they had become homeless in another state before coming to Los Angeles, which is consistent with survey results in previous years. Um, I I, I was going to say, so that all tracks pretty much with what we've kind of been expecting and what our experience has been talking with people on the street. But it seems like the number of people reporting substance uh, use jumped. But that one's a little unclear to me because it seems like loss had changed the way they were measuring that number. Yeah, so uh, we were discussing this. I was, I was having a discussion with uh, Spike, one of our, our editors over at NOC, um, and this was the figure that stood out to him because uh, as I've got the graphic up on the screen right now where we're talking about substance use disorder. So the survey question last year and the survey question this year have changed. Um, I wasn't able to pull up the specifics on this one, but as Spike pointed out, Uh, those who report substance abuse, the number roughly doubled from last year to 27%. The issue here is, in his words, uh, quote, I'm sorry, they rephrased the substance abuse question and they are now using it to show a significant year-to-year increase? That is horribly shoddy data work. It's not apples-to-apples comparison anymore. They changed the phrasing of the question. It's measuring something different, and that is totally valid. Like, the serious mental illness uh, situation has not changed um, but when you talk about substance use disorder, suddenly these the two uh, graphics on the left and the right of this little three-part graphic we've got up on the screen show a massive increase. And that massive increase is, if it's all down to your methodology of how you're asking the question, then like, what the fuck are you actually trying to report with this? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're changing your methodology and your study year on year, you, you, you can't you can't show this like that's your yeah you maybe you have more specificity in your question but you really need to flag that you're actually asking a different question yeah. uh, so they they even say 16 percent in the old methodology and now it's uh 32 percent uh in these in the detailed survey that they put out this year uh just what the fuck well and what also the the, the fact that people suffering serious mental illness 
that number didn't change at all. So yeah. it, it kind of makes you wonder why they, they and they claim more specificity, but my, my instinct here is that they lowered the bar for what counts as substance abuse or substance use disorder. And it mm-hmm. doesn't really touch on a lot of the fact, like there's no, they don't show what the crossover is between those two yeah. groups, people suffering serious mental illness and people who are uh, reporting substance abuse disorder. So it, it, it's one of those where like just, doing any outreach work or even just talking to people who are on the street, it's pretty easy to see that people who have serious mental illness also tend to be people who are using substances for a variety of reasons and not Mm -hmm. being able to tease those out and putting them up as two completely separate numbers strikes me as a little bit disingenuous and also one that I think is trying to feed this media narrative that the people who are on the street are drug addicts and drunks and that they're ultimately there because of their own moral failing versus systemic failures that put them there. Um, but yeah, talking about uh, kind of moving moving through this because, you know, Eric Garcetti ultimately sets the tone for how the city deals with this and yep. giving his police and his social workers more reasons to criminalize people on the street it seems very much in line with what he's trying to do. So let's uh, go ahead and talk about his interview with the appeal that went down yesterday. Yeah, so uh, our dear mayor, Eric Garcetti, went on the the briefing with Matt Ferner, who is the editor-in-chief over at The Appeal on Friday. The full interview is 26 minutes long. It's up on YouTube, and I do actually really want to go through that with you, Bushido, but we just genuinely do not have time here today. Um, Maybe we can do it tomorrow. I don't know. We'll see. Um, But in the meantime, one of the highlights from that that's really worth mentioning right now is the fact that DA Jackie Lacey uh, seems to have lost one of her strongest supporters. Uh, here's how Jason McGran opened his article over at Los Angeles Magazine uh, to discuss this, uh, shall we say, a bit of a shocking turn of events here. Quote, when Los Angeles County District Attorney Jackie Lacey launched her bid for a third term last year, she unfurled a virtual who's who of prominent elected officials who endorsed her. But one of her earliest and most powerful backers is now having second thoughts. When he first endorsed Lacey 18 months ago, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti praised her as, quote, a smart, tremendously effective and clear-eyed DA who always puts the mission of advancing justice for all above everything else. But on Friday, following weeks of protest against police brutality, the mayor said he was reconsidering his endorsement. In an interview with reformist criminal justice website, The Appeal, (laughs) Garcetti was asked if it was time for change in the DA's office, which has long been lambasted by Black Lives Matter activists for not being tough enough on errant cops. That's putting it very mildly. Mm -hmm. It may be, the mayor said. His statement was a surprise to the Lacey campaign. A spokesman for the DA said that she had not heard from Garcetti before he made his comments to the appeal. So I've actually got that clip. Uh, Let's watch it. Do you still support your endorsement of District Attorney Lacey? Is it time for a change in that office? It may be. And uh, she's somebody who I've worked with. Just to put in context, my father, before he was District Attorney, led the first unit that went after police brutality in the United States of America. I grew up at the dinner table hearing conversations where he'd go to roll calls and officers in a very old and different LAPD, not saying we don't have still progress to make, used to say if you were dying on the ground, bleeding to death, I'd step over you and let you die. Um, The chops that I have and that I know about demand that we do have justice. I was glad to see her put forward prosecution for, you might've seen the video of the beating of somebody who's experiencing homelessness in Boyle Heights in our community. And I think it's important that we do not only prosecute, but that we get convictions. And that's on all of us, by the way, because even when prosecutors do, juries don't convict. This is a moment for America to say, it's not just about prosecutors, it's not just about investigations, but when we line up many of the pieces in the, the chain, the last link in that chain breaks. And that's people on juries who don't wanna convict police officers when they should. Um, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for uh, George Gascon, too. Um, I've served alongside him. It was before he entered the race, and my endorsement uh, was with Miss Lacey. But I want to continue to make sure she does the job that she should be doing. And I want to make sure that that office, no matter who's in it, is going after folks when they commit crimes. And a badge does not protect you. Uh, these are very difficult convictions to get. But until people see justice there, they wonder, will justice actually be equal for anyone? Yeah. Um, did he look comfortable in that video to you? No, not really. He seemed pretty uncomfortable throughout the whole interview. He also has that weird smile on his face the entire time, uh, which just does not fit in any way the tone of what the fuck is being dealt with here. And the fact that so much of the responsibility of all this does land squarely on his goddamn shoulders. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so we're we're I think we're pretty much wrapping up here on that one. Yeah, uh, what uh, what council actions do we have coming up this week? Because there's some big we, ones. Oh boy, lots. Uh, so there is going to be a budget and finance committee hearing on Monday. There is a regular council meeting on Tuesday. Another one on on Wednesday. Uh, we've got that special meeting that's going to be happening on Monday morning at 10 a.m. Uh, don't actually know how we're going to be able to access that information, but uh, I will be live tweeting anything and everything as much as I can. Uh, we'll put up links to these things as they pop up. Uh, there will be more meetings throughout the week. Um, I'm sure things will be changing. This the, the fun thing with the Brown Act here is that they do get like what, 48 hours in advance of the meeting. They have to post the agenda so that people are able to know what the fuck our elected officials are doing. However, uh, because it's a 48 hour rule, it means that things can change and often mm-hmm. do up until like the 49th hour. So yeah, we'll see what happens. But uh, regardless, there are a bunch of city council meetings that are going to be taking place. Uh, there is still going to be a hell of a lot of pressure on the mayor because this is his budget. Uh, he's the one that needs to take ownership of that budget. And the paltry like offers that have been made by both city council and by the mayor last week are uh, not nearly enough to uh, satiate the, the demands to become, even come close to meeting the demands of BLM and of these protesters that have been out on the streets basically every day uh, since the since the murder of George Floyd became uh, this this national uprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just tune in. Uh, we'll be covering that over at knock.la on Twitter. Uh, follow Ground Game on the socials. We've got all well, sorts then, of things uh, to things. Black Lives Matter LA is back to doing their yes. Wednesday vigils at the Hall of Justice, right? Correct. Yes, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the Wednesday vigils are definitely a thing uh, once again. So that's at 4 p.m. at the Hall of Justice, 211 uh, West Temple downtown, right at the intersection of Spring and Temple. Uh, the barricades have expanded to include more and more of the plaza, which is a public space, but mm, I guess we don't get yeah. to use it. Uh, but yeah, please do show up there in solidarity. Of course, make sure that you are wearing your mask and engaging as, as best uh, social distancing practices you can. Um, and if you are feeling sick in any way, please, please, please do not bring yourself out there and wear yourself out or put other people in risk yeah. uh, with with pot- potential spread of the infection. Um, uh, one thing I, I mentioned briefly but didn't uh, highlight enough here is that on Monday evening at 7 p.m., BLMLA's Facebook page is going to be carrying a live stream of a Zoom town hall, uh, again, doing that, that uh, you know, defunding 101, what it means to reimagine community safety uh, in an era beyond the police. And uh, again, there's this, we've mentioned this before, but there's a book about this called The End of Policing by Alex Vitale. Everyone yep. should read it. He actually was recommending on Twitter that everybody steal his book and read it. It's, uh, that uh, it's free on Verso as an ebook right now. That is awesome. Thank you, yep. Verso. Thank there's you, also, There's also another ebook on policing tactics um, and the history of policing that is free as an ebook on Verso. Uh, if you Fantastic. don't feel like spending the, uh, I think it's $10 on sale, but yeah, you can get it for free if you want or if you want to uh, help out you know, Verso and some really good authors. Uh, they're they're both on sale. So we'll put, we'll put the link in the that. description. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Um, yeah. And then, of course, we've got our uh, our Thursday meetings for ground game uh, at 730, as usual. If you want to get involved in those, hit us up and uh, we'll uh, get you hooked up with that. Yep. And anything else, Bushido? No, I think that's pretty much it. Have you all have yourselves a very safe and productive week um, and we'll keep you updated as we can as things move forward. Um Remember to turn it, tune in on uh, Wednesdays for uh, Ground Game Live. I'm going to be back hosting this week. Uh, a big thank you to Sasha Gray for uh, helping us out a couple of weeks ago, rating our channel, um, and also for raising a bunch of money for Mutual Aid LA. Yep. Um, so, yeah, you know, tell your friends, get them to tune in. We're looking to build some really cool shit here. Thank you much for tuning in. As always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in, publicizing, just being made aware of, please send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page, on Twitter. We're all on there all the time these days. Yep. Uh, of course, this podcast and every Ground Game podcast is a production of Knock.LA. Support us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash knock underscore LA. Yep. Of course, check the description for sources, links to actions, social media. You know the deal. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in, and I apologize for any technical glitches with the video stream God. or audio and things kind of lagging out. I do not know what the hell's going on with my computer. It's something I'm going to get to look into today. But uh, thank you all for listening. 
Uh, thank you for doing this with me this morning, Bushido. And of course. Uh, see y'all next week. I yield my time. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs>